You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Great. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. I'm super excited to be jumping back into our series. And, you know, if you're visiting and this is your first time here, my name is Pastor Brandon and I'm the lead pastor and one of the elders here. And, you know, we as a church, we work really hard to be marked by several things that really helps to propel and prepares to be all that God's called us to be in two ways. One, as a covenant family, as we come together, we work really hard to bring in a culture, to bring in a DNA so that we can kind of become more and more fitted over time. And then we want to make sure that as we become more fitted and we come together as a people, that we're able to be a helpful presence to our community. And we believe one of the ways, there's multiple ways, we have our DNA, we have a vision, but one of the ways we want to do that and that I want to really lift up in this season is through our mission statement all right so whether it's for the military whether it's for an organization a business organization or sports teams oftentimes you'll kind of lay out a mission statement or a vision for what you want your company or church or organization to be kind of known for and marked by it's what you're able to kind of have as a centerpiece to rally around even in my marriage we kind of made a mission statement in our third or fourth year what is our mission as the Rochelle family so for us as a church we have a mission statement that we want all of you to kind of corral around, rally around, and to be known for. So let's look at our mission statement. And I'm hoping that maybe you can even memorize this in your heart. Here it is. Redemption City Church exists to glorify God by making disciples through gospel-centered worship. Not just worship, but gospel-centered. Focusing intently on what Christ has done, that's the worship. Through service, we want to be marked by the way that we serve one another in our community. We want to be marked by covenant family, right? A family that takes seriously the responsibility to each other, right? You're tracking with me, breaking this down. And then, this is super important, we want to be marked by multiplication. We want to have such a love, such a service, such a love for God that it reproduces itself first from within our walls and then out. We are resolved to risk our comfort so that we might reach our city with a message that can release freedom that comes only from Jesus in order that many people, as many as possible is our hope, would experience a redeemed life in Christ. So these four R's are so important to us. We wanna be uh, risking things. Are you risking things in your life? We wanna be reaching out in our city. Are you, are you doing that? We wanna be releasing the freedom based upon our testimony and the light of our life so that people can experience a redeemed life in Christ. And our hope is that that's going to increase our ability to glorify God or to make much of God. And here's my hope pastorally is that as you really lean into that pursuit, that you would then experience a type of joy and a type of satisfaction that you would know can only come from being a missionary or an ambassador of the kingdom. And so here's my first question that I kind of want to um, pose this morning. Are you faithfully working in your life to collide your story with the mission and the call from God? 
Now, the overarching mission of God comes from Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's our overarching mission. But then, right here in our local church context, Redemption City Church, we have this mission of our church. Are you doing that? So you may be wondering, well, how do I actually take steps to really intentionalize this mission? Okay, how do I take steps to intentionally get in the game at Redemption City Church towards this? And so we're going to look at four necessary ways for your story to collide with God's story that he's doing here at Redemption City Church. Here's the first one. Number one, by sowing seeds of membership and discipleship. You see our language as we're developing the church. We talked about Envision Sunday, what we're going to sow. So one of the ways that you can really get in the game here is to sow seeds of membership. First, for yourself, are you taking that next big step as a covenant member of our family? Listen, things happen, time happens, seasons come and go. It doesn't mean that for the rest of your life you would always be here. But what it does mean is for such a time as this, as God has me in this context, I want to be radically in all the way. Not just putting my toe in the water, but both my feet in the water so I can experience all of the blessings God has for me so I can be a blessing for others. And then in discipleship, am I now taking that and am I loving others well? So the question again, take it seriously. Am I sowing seeds towards membership and am I sowing seeds of discipleship? Number two, by sowing seeds of regular offering and tithing. One of, the, one of the most powerful ways that you can get in the game at Redemption City Church and in the kingdom is to take the resources that all belong to God and to give them back to his kingdom so that it can be multiplied, so that you can be fruitful, right? Are you getting in the game in that way? And then another one is by sowing seeds of regular serving and glad participation right? It, you got to have the glad word in there. Nobody wants you to walk around like Eeyore. Well, I, all right, I guess I'll serve today. No, that's not joy. That's not the God that we serve. Our God serves us out of his love, out of his joy. And we want to be marked in that way to do it with glad participation. Are you in the game in that way? I want to see you be ferocious in that pursuit. Don't wait around for Pastor Jack or me or anyone else. You come and say, I want to get in the game. And then finally, last but not least, are you in the game by sowing seeds of regular prayer and fasting? Folks, these four ways of sowing will literally change your life from the inside out. It brings you community. It gives you perspective. These are the ways that you can get into the game. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I hope, and I really, really hope you do, because you know, we're back in Ephesians, so that means I'm in the, I, I like vision, I like all that, but I like Ephesians. So we're going to get back to the Word, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We're going to be looking at that in just a little bit, and as we jump back into our series, it's titled Our Story into God's Story. We talk about that all the time, right? Our story moving into God's story, and I want to remind you that this is all about discovering who we are as a people, as individuals, in light of Christ. And so for the last three-ish months of 2019, we spent seven weeks exploring and kind of tearing apart 14 verses, right? And this is from the letter from Paul. And across those seven weeks, spanning those seven sermons, we looked at what Ezekiel talked about, those seven identifiable blessings of the triune God. And so we looked at what does it mean to be to receive the blessing of being chosen and adopted? We get that from the love of the Father. Why? We talked about how we can specify our love, right, from the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then we get to be redeemed and forgiven and equipped. And we get that from the love specifically intentionalized from Jesus, the Son. And then we learn what does it mean to be sealed and forever wealthy and how that love comes from the Holy Spirit. And when the Father's love and the Son's love and the Holy Spirit's love collide together with all these blessings, our lives can be radically changed forever. Now, here remains our aim. It's, it's literally been almost, what, five or six weeks. I want to kind of bring us back together so we can kind of focus in. Uh, our aim for the series is this. No matter who you are, whether you've been studying the Bible your whole life, no matter if you have been in seminary, you have your master's degree, or today you are opening the Bible for the first time in your life. Our aim for all people is that we would all have an encounter, a fresh encounter in the book of Ephesians with God like we've never had before. Is that a good aim? Yeah. That's, that, that's a powerful aim. And so that brings us to today, part eight, which is titled Faith, Love, pr Prayer, and a Praise-Filled 
remembrance. And this is going to be all about the manifestation of these seven identifiable blessings, right? We call them identifiable because let me tell you something. This is just for free, right? I mean, this is just an add-on, okay? God is a big God. How many know that? He's big. He's massive. He's wide. He's deep. And so there are so many things that we can't even perceive about our God. These are just the things that he's allowed us to identify. And we should be overwhelmed with even what we can identify in the character of God. And so it's going to be about finding encouragement and proper perspective in this collision between our story and God's story and these seven blessings. And then it's going to be finally about discovering how we can better navigate moments of difficulty in our life when they arise within our church. All right. So Pastor Jack is going to be reading loudly chapter one, verses 15 through 23. Um, So I want you to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen with the word of God. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's do all we can to be centered right now with God. Glorious God, our Father, we are filled with indescribable longings of the heart that are constantly and often systematically distracting our affections from total, all-out obedience and joy in worshiping you. And we really hate that part about ourselves, Lord. We're acknowledging that this morning. We believe in you, yet we often have doubt and we hate that. We worship you, yet we, man, we love other things more than you, and we hate that part about ourselves. We bear, we bear these names as, as Christians that identify with you, yet we work and play in ways that oftentimes look more like the world than they look like you, God. And we don't want to be that way. So we come this morning declaring, we don't want that. We need your help. We're asking for your help. Lord, I believe this book of Ephesians has much to say in terms of providing helpful answers for our lives, for relationships. Therefore, Holy Spirit, help us to have a heart to see you rightly as we try our best to communicate through the word of God clearly. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So here's just a little historical information. I kind of want to bring our minds and orient our minds about the book of Ephesians that I want you to know. So when Paul is beginning his second missionary journey, he's returning from Athens to Greece. And on that way, he stops for just a short time in the city of Ephesus. And as I said earlier in this series, when we talked about Paul, this is one of Paul's most matured letters. And so we're seeing him at one of his most mature times as an apostle. We're seeing him in one of his most mature times as a leader. And we're seeing him just generally as a matured man of God. Now, all all scripture is breathed out, is profitable for our lives. All of it's inspired word of God. But what I want you to start to appreciate about the book of Ephesians specifically is that we're looking at a man, he's still a man, an inspired man, but a man who is reaching the end part of his life. He's been, he has a type of wisdom that he did not have when he was younger. It didn't mean that he was not anointed, just like it doesn't mean that when we're young, we don't have anointing. It doesn't mean that young pastors don't have anointing. But what it does mean is there a, there's a collision that happens between knowledge of God and experiences of God, and that collides into the wisdom of God. So we're seeing Paul at a high time of wisdom, and so we're reading a very matured book, and that is important. And so then, this kind of, what I'm thinking about is coming out of Acts chapter 19, um, where it's picking up. And so when Paul visits that second time to the, to the church of, um, in Ephesus, he starts this way, or this is when he's getting ready to start the church. He rebaptizes. It talks about this in Acts 19, if you want to look at it. He rebaptizes some 12 men who were taught by Apollos. Okay, so these 12 men were being rebaptized by Apollos. Now, I want to say a quick word right now about rebaptism. This is a perfect time to talk about it. I, 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 don't, I would love to talk about anything in Scripture when it 
faithfully comes up in the text, and we can talk about it. So let's talk about rebaptism because that's a big thing. You know, even in our own church, we're only getting ready to embark upon our second baptism. And one of the questions posed by one of our covenant members who was exploring said, "Hey." I'm feeling this need to be baptized, but I, yet I was already baptized. Is that okay? There's a lot of kind of anxiety around that. Here, here's the thing. Whenever you are taking a step with God, whether it's your decision in Christ, your baptism, whatever's going on, it is less about the, out, the external workings of what you're doing. It is all about what's going on in and through your heart. So many people have been baptized, but they were not ready to make that decision, or they were ready but they weren't given the opportunity to do it in a faithful way. There's all kinds of things that can happen. And so I want you to be encouraged that if there's any, and here's one way to know if I need to be rebaptized. If you're thinking about, do I need to be baptized? <laughs> if you are thinking, do I need to be rebaptized? I want to encourage you strongly to do that. But here's why. It's not because it makes you more faithful. It's not because God is more pleased, but because it closes the gap of the question. So you can focus on your journey with God. And so there are times when rebaptism is important. And it was important to Paul that these 12 men be rebaptized into proper understanding from what they had learned from Apollos now as he's getting ready to use them. And so as this Ephesians church is being um, getting ready to be launched, Paul rebaptizes these 12 men and they start this church. Now, here's something really important that I want you to hold in attention. Most of Paul's letters, nearly all of them, he's always responding to some present difficulty going on in that church. So these letters are being written, a lot of them from light chain house arrest, and he's going to say something in light to a present difficulty. Here's some examples. We have things like um, mixing the Greek idea and the Jewish ideas with the gospel of Christ. So in Colossians, you're going to see a lot of that. Like, hey, you're mixing Greek ideas. You're mixing Jewish Judaism type of ideas. But we want to focus on Christ-centered ideas. You're going to see that in Colossians. Or we see um, also um, in Galatians, we have the Jewish Christians who are working really hard to accept their Gentile brothers. And they're struggling in that. So you're going to see some exhortations of how to work through that difficulty in Galatians. Now, in Ephesians specifically, um, there's an appeal going on that Paul's making. And it's between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And, and the big thing he's trying to do is bring them together in unity. This is going to be so important for us because basically what Paul is saying is, hey, God does not desire for you guys to be divided. He does not want to see a Greek church. He does not want to see raised up a Jewish church. He wants to see a faithful Christ centered church. Now for us at Redemption City Church, we are literally the embodiment of a multicultural church. I love looking out amongst our people. It's one of the things I talked to Pastor Jack about in our original vision when we're planting. The only way I can be a part of a ministry is if it looks like the kingdom of heaven, Pastor Jack. It has to be that way. And so for us, this is going to be an important journey as we keep going in Ephesians and we learn about how do we collide all these different things. And so we have the Jewish Christians who are really struggling um, with the Gentiles because they feel like the Gentiles are lacking respect, fundamental respect and reverence for God, and they're not able to really understand the Jewish ways. They look at the Gentiles as being uneducated. But we also have the Gentiles being frustrated with the Jewish believers because they feel like they're being looked down upon. So we have this different collision going on. But none of this is God's heart, and none of it is also Paul's heart. So Paul is laying out these prescriptions. So throughout the entire letter of Ephesians, Paul is telling them to stop this level of divisiveness. Stop doing that. And he's trying to really get them to focus on some important things that they're doing well. Because the church of Ephesians was doing well. And so he's trying to get them to lift their eyes up off of their quarreling and to see some really important things that are happening. So he's going to take them on a journey. Therefore, we're going to be going on a journey throughout the rest of this book with him saying this. The church is big enough. The church is loving enough for us to collide together and to be a faithful covenant family. So that's what we can joyfully expect as we keep marching through the book of Ephesians. We should be able to see that as we look at these seven identifiable blessings of God, what we're seeing is this exhortation from Paul. Look at what God has done in your life. That's what he's doing. He's stopping them in their tracks and he's saying, look, lift your eyes up and look at what God's doing. So here's my question for you. How many of you how many of us this morning want to have a rock solid confidence that we are actively participating 
and enjoying these seven blessings in a way that leads us to be more unified together and more trusting in God. How many want that kind of a walk with the Lord? We all should be lifting our hands up super high, right? Let me ask again, how many of you want to be living and walking in these seven blessings from God in a way that brings unity amongst us and confidence in your walk with the Lord? We, we, all, we all want that. Yes, yeah, say amen, thank you. It, um, isn't, it tr isn't it true then, at times though, we still doubt that? We still doubt that these seven blessings belong to, it belongs to everybody else in the crowd, but me. I, you know, I really believe it for you and for you, and I can even exhort that. And I can even sound really, really like I'm so strong in faith as I exhort you, as I disciple you. I just can't seem to believe that for my own life, but we so desire for Christ to fill that gap. Now, here's my next question. How many of us today walked away from these last seven sermons as we walk through these seven blessings and you walked away feeling like you're the richest person in the world and everything is totally and utterly fine within your life. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us are not able to walk away with that type of confidence. Instead, most of us may be feeling the exact opposite walking in this morning. I never know. It's one thing I learned over the 14 years of ministry. It doesn't matter how much the people of God walk in the building and they're smiling and they have big, happy, you know, cheery words. I've learned wisely over time that there are a lot of things going on in our church right now. And there's a lot of things going on in people's lives right now. And I don't want to miss that. And I want to preach towards those things. Some of us, for a fact, woke up this morning or you went to bed last night and you were filled with worry about a lot of your circumstances. That's what's really true. And stress about obstacles that you're, you're really trying to figure out how you're gonna get past. Or guilt about your past that you're having a hard time shaking free from. And some of us are uneasy, dramatically uneasy about our futures. And, and we really don't know what to do about that. And perhaps some of us are really angry and we're despondent right now about some frustrations or some fears that we have. So consider those words, worry, stress, uneasiness, guilt. These are not of God, nor are they life-giving, right? They're not life-giving. Well, these same emotions, guilt, uneasiness, frustrations, complexities, these are the same things that were the church of Ephesians were going through, the church of Ephesus going through. Though they were demonstrating all these amazing things that were going on in their church, guys, there were so many amazing things. We could have a whole different perspective on this series about how healthy this church was. But Paul knew that it's always easy to grow within two things, a tendency to waver and to divide. It is so easy for us to have a tendency to waver in our faith and to become divided. So especially the Gentile believers who are already struggling and being more troubled by the way that they felt kind of um, not a part of the church because of the Jewish. So Paul throughout those 14 verses is saying, don't do that. Resist that temptation. Indeed, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed in God. Focus and believe that. And so therefore, that's where we pick up in verse 15. Track with me. So all that's happening. There's struggles. There's complexities. There's Jewish ideas. There's Gentile ideas. He's saying the church is big enough. It's loving enough. Come together. Look at God. Get your eyes off of your division. Look what God has provided for you. That's your identity. And then we cross over to verse 15. And he's going to provide proper perspective and encouragement for them and for us today. So this leads to our first thing. So who are we? We are a people. We have to know this. We really have to know this. We have to know our weaknesses. We are a people that have a tendency to waver in our rock solid confidence about God and these blessings he provides. Let's just, let's just lay that out in the light right now. We struggle and we tend to waver in our belief of these things. It's okay. Let's just deal with that. Therefore, we must diligently pursue biblical perspective and encouragement through scripture and healthy relationships as our primary medication. You tracking? We want to look to scripture. Okay, I'm struggling because I don't want to just talk. I want you guys to get this. I'm struggling in my life. And I feel like there's something wrong with my faith because I'm coming to church. I'm hearing the word of God. I'm supposed to be walking in these seven blessings, but I don't feel these blessings. I'm not able to activate these blessings on a daily basis. What do I do? You want to turn to scripture to give you proper perspective so you can think right. You want to turn to healthy God-centered relationships to then fan that into flame. It's a both and. Both and. Okay. So both that. 
And as you collide scripture more with healthy relationships that spur you on, you're going to be able to experience more and more of God. So I want you to think through these first 14 verses as a type of praise to God. So these first 14 verses are kind of a centering praise to God for all that he's done. And I want you to see verses 15 through 23 are now pointed now at a type of prayer. So we're going to combine praise and then we're going to add prayer. Now this, now all prayer is a type of praise. Amen. All prayer is a type of praise. It's mingled with some form of praise, but prayer also stands alone. It, it stands alone from, from praise. And so I want to make sure we understand that prayer is a type of praise, but I want to separate them so we can make sure we have both functions happening in our walk with the Lord, because this prayer part is going to seal the deal with this praise part. Okay. So let's transition now as we look at these nine verses and I'm going to break them into three faithful segments. So I want you to see this. Okay. So here they are on your screen. First verses 15 and verses 16, as we get ready to explore this are primarily about gratitude. Everybody say gratitude. gratitude. Okay. Everybody say gratitude. gratitude. So the first two verses, we're going to see gratitude. We have to be marked by gratitude. If you miss out on gratitude, you're going to be robbed of joy before you because it, it, we, we have a tendency to waver in understanding how much God has done in our lives. And every step and every degree that we walk away from being grateful for what God has done is to that same degree that we are not able to praise. And as we are not able to praise, we're not able to see. As we're not able to see, we're not able to worship. As we're not able to worship, we're not able to have joy. And without joy, we die. Gratitude is an important piece. Verses 17 through 19 are primarily about intercession. Everybody say intercession. intercession. So we're going to see in verses 17 through 19, hopefully, if I pick it up, verses 17 through 19 is we're going to see the power of intercession. Now, what does intercession mean? Intercession is a type of prayer. Intercession specifically is prayer that you do for the primary function of someone else that is not you. When I intercede for my children, I am saying there's a present difficulty that is beyond their ability to accomplish on their own. And I'm going to intercede by the power of prayer on their behalf. So there's going to be an intercession going on that Paul's going to do. Not for himself, as he's in his own light chain house, was dying and, 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 and in not great conditions. He's going to take his prayer, point them off of himself to someone else. Very important. Okay. And then in verses 20 through 23, it's all about praise. Say praise. praise. Say praise. praise. So verses, to, ooh, strong. Verses 20 through 23 is all about praise because if we're not praising, then we're not living. If we're not living, then we're dying. So now I'm not going to be able to comprehensively break down all these verses in all these three categories. I want to keep my word that we're going to walk through more than a verse or two in, in a day. But what I do want to do is I do want to focus intently on verses 15 and 16 really deeply, really thoroughly. And then we're going to kind of march quickly through the rest of the verses. But I promise that if we do it well, we're going to get everything that God has for us today. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter one, verse 15 and 16 right now. This is the word of the Lord. This is what it says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. You see in that text, don't believe me. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, what are the two key areas of encouragement and gratitude expressed that Paul is celebrating right now? I'm not even going to tell you yet. I want you to look at the text. I want you to be a student learner. Be a, be a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting disciple. What are the two encouragements that he's talking about? What is he showing his gratefulness towards? There's two things, okay? I'm going to put them on the screen for you now. Hopefully you saw them. There's faith and there's love. You see that? It's bolded and underlined for you now. There's faith and there's love. Paul is pointing and he's encouraging them towards these two things. And we're going to be talking about that in just a minute. So, so who are we? We are a people called to be marked by and known for our faith in God. What does all that mean? Faith in God. Okay. Our faith in God through Christ and our abounding love for fellow believers, or as the word of God says, or saints in God. And we do this for God. Mm, that's very specific. Our love for saints, our love for believers. What is going on? What is going on there? So let's start this first conversation about faith because I want us to see clearly so we can interact faithfully with what Paul is communicating and what he's actually celebrating and what he's actually encouraging in the text. So the first question should be, if, if we're tracking together, what is faith? 
he's encouraging them and he's talking about some type of faith that they're doing really well in. And I don't know about you, I want to know what that faith was so that I can see how I can activate that into my life. So what is faith? Well, the Bible answers that question super effectively, super well in Hebrews. So we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 for a wise definition of faith. Here we go. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, there's a lot going on here, okay? We can't stick here too long, but I want you to see this. So there was something that God had for Abraham. You see that? God had something for Abraham. We know that God has something for us. Okay, so Abraham knows God has something for me. Abraham obeyed God despite not knowing how he was going to get that something that God had for him. So faith for us means that we acknowledge that God has something for us, that we don't know always every step to get there, but we trust him anyway. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. So if you're prone in your own walk with the Lord to struggle when you don't see every little thing to go, but what if this happens? But what if this happens? What if this happens? And I don't know about this. And I I can't see that. I can't see that. I want you to know that genuine confidence and faith in God biblically is not about seeing everything or knowing everything or understanding everything. That's the wrong pursuit. That's not biblical faith. It's not about having every single thing in your life laid out perfect on a cookie cutter sheet. Faith requires two things. Okay. We talked about this in the journeyman program. It requires belief of the mind. That's not enough. First, you need to, because this, this mind of ours gets distracted. We need to believe in our minds and it needs to travel so that we trust it in a lasting way in our hearts. Belief is a start point. Trust is the endurance. I'm going to say it again. Belief is a start point of the mind. Trust is the landing place where it endures. So we want to, faith is, is believing upon the things of God enduring with a type of trust in the things of God. The whole point of faith is you don't know everything that's going to happen. Are you tracking with me? You don't know, but you put your faith upon God. Folks, if we're going to have faith in our lives and faith for this church plan, we're going to have to go walk beyond our sight. Faith is having assurance that God is there, that God is real, that God is alive, and that God is active. Not that you know all of God's ways and all of his plans. Faith is trusting that the story that you have away from him with your own passion desires is utterly ridiculous, leading to darkness and death. And faith is saying that God's ways, even when I can't articulate them all, is an inner knowing that it's better than any choice I could make for myself. Faith isn't about going to some bookstore and buying your your next spiritual book like it's a magical spell. Nor is it about opening up your Bible and treating it like a spell book. I'm struggling with my faith. I pick up my Bible. I'm going to do my two hours of devotions because it's a magic book. So, oh, oh, I'm struggling. I'm going to read it. Magic. I feel better. That leads to Christians being disappointed. Christians being despondent when you use the Bible as your magic potion book. That's not how we engage with it. We engage the Bible to be reminded of God, but there still is no replacement for faith in God. You tracking with me? So what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus in verse 15 is that he's heard of their faith. He's heard of their faith beyond what they could see. We want, it, we, man, we want that for us. He was talking about there was a type of belief these Ephesians had. There was a type of um, trust that these Ephesians had. And he was encouraging that to continue, even if they couldn't see everything. Check this out. So there were these 12 men that were rebaptized, and they started this church. Paul affirmed them. And they knew these things. I want you to see this in your life. Here's what these 12 men knew. They knew that they were called by God. That's what they knew. They also knew that they were called by God to do a work specifically in Ephesus. They knew that. They also knew that they were called by God to do a specific work in Ephesus and that God was in it. And how do they know that? They knew that because Paul, a man, but God used him, affirmed them to the task. They knew they were called. They knew they were called to a place. They knew that, and they knew that this was legitimate because Paul, who they trusted in him and his relationship with God, affirmed them and that's what they needed to go but what faith did but what what faith did not answer for them and show them clearly was everything in the story of how the church would be planted 
They did not know every single step that was going to happen. They could not see all things in their life story, but they knew enough to go. And that's what faith is. It's about knowing not all things, but knowing enough. The rest is up to God. Therefore, when the troubles came for the church of Ephesus, they stayed by faith. When things got difficult in the church of Ephesus, they persevered by faith. Revelations talks about that. They celebrate the church of Ephesus and it condemns other churches. When opposition came, the Ephesians were able to stand upon their convictions even if it was unpopular, they were living in a, in a very, very, very secular area, but they were able to stand upon their beliefs because of their faith. Is that, hello, is that matter for us living in a post-Christian, post-modern world, sticking on our convictions by faith? And now Paul is calling them into that remembrance, saying, remember what is important, your faith. Man, your faith is how you've gotten this far, and your love is how you've gotten this far. Don't forget that. So who are we? We are a people called, we got to do this, to stand by faith in our convictions and calling. There's things that God wants you to be convicted by. You got to have convictions in your life. You got to move from what you know is right to be convicted, to move into what's right. And your calling, what has he called you to do during, but here's the thing, during times of trouble, difficulty, and opposition. Folks, if you don't stand on your convictions when it's hard, you never had a conviction at all. That means you're just living when things are pleasant and easy. We do, so we do that. How do we do that? We do that by being reminded of the faith we once had in other areas. Using that as evidence, as a spiritual propeller into our present affliction. Does that make sense? I, I, you know, I, I, want you to, I want you to lean in with me for a second. If you are struggling in something, you have to focus even more to stand upon the convictions and the calling that God has put in your life. And you need to remember the times you've had success. This is why the Bible is a big, a big storybook of remembering. How many times has God been faithful in your life? How many times were you prepared to choose wrong, but you chose right? And how good did that feel? Remember those moments and activate your faith in a deep way so you can be spurred on to do all that God's called you to do. It's so, so important. These are, these, this changes the whole game for how you walk with Christ. If you can remember your victories instead of only meditating on your failures. I think oftentimes when we approach scripture and we see it, we often think about it from a way of, um, of almost like, uh, man, God, um, if I could just understand more, if I could just see more, if I could just believe more, my life would be better. I think that's the wrong approach. I think if we slow down and we say, God, I actually am going to acknowledge before you right now, despite my feelings that I have seen, I have tasted that you're good. I'm thankful. I have you in my life. Now, God, I have, I have, a, I have an issue in my emotions. I have an issue in that gap of where I'm feeling, and I'm asking you to give me peace that surpasses all understanding. Folks, if you can invite God, not just to increase your understanding, but to give you peace, I think you'll be really, really pleasantly surprised at how much you understand when you're not anxious. You need to slow down and taste that the Lord is good. Now, here's what's so amazing. That's just faith. Paul was just encouraging that they had a type of faith beyond their sight, that they were trusting in good and bad times, but he also encourages one more thing, and he talks about their love. And so I want to move the needle to this thing about the love that he was encouraging them towards. Let's look at John chapter 13, verses um, verse 35. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the word of the Lord, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You, are, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay, let's look at one more verse. First John chapter three, verse 16 through 18. This is also really, really important. By this, we know love. Okay, so we're looking at what, what is this love? By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world, 
if, excuse me, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, keep tracking, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, which is a perfect term for us, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Can, okay, I want you to see this. As Christians, as Bible Christians, we cannot be selfish. Say, I cannot, as a Christian, be selfish or self-centered. So important. But whether we want to be radically known for being generous, but that generosity must come. Guys, it must come from a type of biblical love. There is a type of worldly generosity versus a biblical generosity, right? DNA marked by generosity. It must come from a biblical prescription of love. You know, I often hear people talking about how much they love God, the love of God, the love of God, loving God, loving God. Here's the thing. You can't love God rightly and fully if you don't know how to love people horizontally. I'm going to say it again uh, because you need to hear this. You cannot love God fully and rightly if you don't know how to love people rightly horizontally one of the ways that you most activate your love for god is not in some type of ethereal untouchable unseen mysterious mystic kind of way you primarily show the love of god horizontally with one another and just to give you proper perspective on the different kinds of love that's going to be talked about, we're going to look at, um, we're going to kind of lean into this part of looking at how Jesus faithfully showed this kind of love. We're going to see it. It's going to be really, really, really powerful. But before we do that, it doesn't really matter if we have love in our hearts and we're pursuing it and we're desiring it if we don't put it into action. I wanted to say that. If you don't put your love into action and it stays just fulfilling, and you don't activate your love with deed. Yes, we're not, we're not called just to be men and women of deeds, but here's the whole thing. Faith without what? Works is, oh yeah, faith without is, so we have, that's what James tells us. And so we wanna activate the works, not because we center our focus, but then it proves that the love is genuine. Now, how do we do that? How do we love and pursue and desire these things and we do it in right ways? How do we have good guardrails? Okay, so we have to look at two areas that Paul talks about because he keeps doing this. Remember in, in, in the first two verses, he talks about faithful to the saints, faithful to believers. Paul is constantly hammering a type of focus on those who are in the faith with you, those who are believers. It doesn't mean we don't love the world. It doesn't mean they're not important, but he is creating categories. We have to deal with the text. He's creating categories of what family is. And so here's the two things I want you to think about. There's a difference between serving others out of our love. That would be for the world. We serve people in the world, but we're in relationships with people that are like-minded. And I think, folks, this is where we, where we get really, we struggle. There's a difference between serving out of our love of what God has done for the world, serving them, and then being in a type of relationship with those who are like-minded. Let me explain some more. As you enter into a relationship, a relationship requires vulnerability. Okay, so let me build a bridge, okay? As you enter into a deeper relationships, they require vulnerability. And vulnerability opens the door for influence. Influence is to be drawn from one point to the next. As you become more vulnerable in a relationship, you become more easily influenced. And those who are influencing us affect us. So when we are amongst believers, we want to enter into a deep, loving, triune, God-like fellowship where we become vulnerable and we accept the, ability, the opportunity to be influenced by one another. This is what the Word of God means when it says we are to be, we are in the world, but we are not, we are in the world, but not, okay, so we dwell amongst of the world. We live in close proximity with those who are not in God. We want to love rightly all people, but we are in relationship in a vulnerable, influential way with those who are saints, those who are believers, not because we're trying to be divisive, but because we have to understand rightly that to the degree that we enter into a relationship, we become vulnerable and influenced. So let's look at the word of God for some healthy tension points. Here's 1 Corinthians. Do not be, de be deceived. I want you to get the full breadth of what he's saying in 15 and 16. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. 
Okay, and so I, I kind of, I, I wanted you to get everything in here, so I wrote a little definition, I'm gonna show it to you right now. Okay, so what's bad company? It's anyone or any environment that pulls you away from holiness and godliness. Things that pull you into the world's way of thinking and living. That's what bad company is. So do not be deceived. If you are dwelling in environments or with people that are pulling you away from holiness, they're pulling you away from godliness. If they're pulling you into the, the world's way of thinking, it will ruin you. This is what the word of the Lord is saying. See, we don't want to say this in the secret sensitive, everybody, you know, all inclusive Christianity means that God just loves us, loves all people in a way that he has no types of boundaries. No, 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 no. Bad company ruins you. He's saying it clearly. Let's exhort the word of God. Let's look at the next verse, Proverbs 13 and 20, because we have to, we have to start to understand who we are. What is our identity? Whoever, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Hmm. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Again, another faithful verse. Let's make sure we get it. I wrote a definition for you. Um, this is how I think through a biblical definition of wisdom. Here it is. Wisdom is the collision between experience and the knowledge of God. Anybody who's been walking me know that's how I, that's how I explain it. It's the collision between experience and the knowledge of God. A fool is anyone who lacks biblical, a biblical compass and a trajectory for their life. So the word of God says in Proverbs, those who are not walking with the Lord are a fool. Okay. So if they're not walking with the Lord, they are a fool. It doesn't mean that we don't. So what does that mean? We don't, we don't reach out to the world. No, 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 no. I didn't say reach out. I didn't say salt and life. If you are walking with a fool, that's not wise. A fool is anyone who lacks a biblical compass. So that means that their compass for life is centered on what the word of God says. Their trajectory of life is centered on the Bible and a glad submission of their life to the Bible. So let's read that again. Whoever walks with, the, with someone who's, had, who's walking with the desire to have a collision between the knowledge of God and their experiences, you will become more wise if you do life with those kind of people. But if you choose to dwell and be influenced and be in a relationship with someone who does not have a biblical compass and you're there's there. I'm not saying you're not reaching out to them to serve them, to bring them into a relationship with, with the Lord for God to use you salt and light. I'm saying that you are forgetting who you are. <laughs> then you will suffer harm is what we're learning in Proverbs. Now, can't you see there is an order in the ways that we should function out the love and whatever the church of, um, of Ephesus was doing, he was celebrating how they were loving, not just that they had love. Love's not good enough. The Romans loved. They loved a lot. I call it lust. They had a lot of love with their body and with each other, right? So he's saying, I'm exhorting and encouraging a biblical type of love that I see, a, a rightly ordered love. I, I'm celebrating a type of faith that is rooted in what God says. So let's, let's keep tracking with this. This is super, super important. So just like we see within a, like a biological family context, there's a way that we love and it should be like a rock and ripple effect as it comes out. In, in a family, husband and wife should have a type of love that starts there, ripples to their children, et cetera, et cetera. So let, 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 let's see if that works for us as a church. Your love, my love should be most intensified in our local church and tribe, our family. This is where I love. It doesn't mean that we stay here. It doesn't mean that we're selfish, but that's where everything comes out of. If me and Jillian don't have a deep love, we won't be able to love rightly to our children. Okay. So this love starts within our church. All right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fillet this book of Ephesians so that it makes sense for us as a church. Okay. Um, in other words, you should love Beaverton, Hillsboro, Tigard area. We should do that. We should love it, but not at the neglect of, and it should not supersede the intentional love of your time, resources, and talent to your local church. You tracking? Then we should truly love the Beaverton, Hillsboro area with all our hearts, minds, and souls. But, uh, excuse me, we should totally love like our, our, our nation, our country, but not in a way that supersedes or to the neglect of our focus of where God has planted us in Beaverton Hillsboro. 
And then we need to love the world and the nations and the disciples. This is what we would say, Pastor Brandon, when are we going to start to have money that goes to overseas? Okay, here we, we need to love the world. We need to have uh, awareness of what's going on in the world. We want to even send our resources to other people in the world that need it, but it can't supersede the intentionality of our love for our country. It doesn't mean it's not important. It means that as we take care of home, we can take care of others or in your own personal life to the degree that you are doing well spiritually is to the degree that you can pour your life out for others. We can't serve anybody, folks, in Hillsborough Beaverton if we are not healthy as a church. Amen? Amen? Amen. So when you look at Jesus and his life, we get to see a radical display of him doing this effectively. Let me show you how he's walking out this kind of love that Paul is encouraging the church of Ephesus. So you see this beautiful picture of Jesus. Does he not love the world? Does he not love the cities? But you saw that he had a different love and a different attention to those who he attributed with traveling with him. There was more focus he put there. And then you see a different love that Jesus was giving to those who were his 12 disciples. Do you see that in the text? But then you see a different love that he's attributing to his inner circle of three, James and John and Peter. Yes, God is a God of favoritism. He, Jesus had favorites, folks. Jesus had favorites, okay? So Jesus had a different love. Is the love being permeated everywhere? Yes, but the love intensifies. Boom, boom, boom. And he's not done. And then Jesus had a different love for John than even the rest of the three, and he calls him the, anybody? The beloved, his beloved. And so um, Jesus is giving us a wise prescription of how we can love both in two ways. Effectively, because you can't love everybody the same. You, you, you're one person. You're going to burn yourself out. He's showing you how do you take a multitude of relationships. The average person, do you know the average person um, knows or comes into contact in a yearly basis? That means not just one time, like in an acquaintance way with about 500 people. That's about our capacity. You can't love 500 people all the same. It's impossible. You can't love 30 people that many. And when people try it, I can always tell, when someone's trying to be so loving and they're trying to spread themselves so wide, you end up loving no one well. So Jesus is showing us how do we do it effectively? But here's the second thing. How do you do it proportionately? Proportionately. That's super important. So who are we? We are a people called to wisely love both the world and fellow believers in an effective and proportionate ways, all for the glory of God. Like Jesus, we should lean into the different depths and acts of love with confident assurance that our Lord emphatically did the same. Hey, you need to be freed up from any fear or any guilt that you're not loving everybody the same. Okay? And you need to look at your life and say, God, how have you placed different attachments and peoples? What does my story look like? And let me lean into the story with confidence as I look to the Son and how He spent His time on earth. Jesus was actually able to love the whole world by choosing to love a few very deeply. And He loved them so deeply, so greatly, so widely that they were able to have much from Him and then they were able to love and then they were able to love and they were able to love and that rock ripple effect carried out to where we're at today, 2,000 years later. So, uh, believe it or not, all that's just packed within verses 15 and 16. All right, these encouragements towards this love and this faith that Paul is sharing. There's something about this church in Ephesus that had such a great faith and such a great demonstration of love despite their differences. So just like the church of Ephesus, we want for Redemption City Church, despite the challenges that we're gonna have, the wounds that will be experienced here, and the quarrels that will eventually develop within our church. Yeah, we will, if they're not already there, if, they don't, if we have them, oh, but come tell me about it. If we have them, times of being disappointed in your church experience at Redemption City Church, we wanna have that report where we say, man, what great faith despite it all. What great love despite it all. And I believe that's what we want our answer to be, right? Yes, as a church, we want that for our church. And so we're going to kind of walk through these rest of these verses because this is what Paul is encouraging them towards. He's saying, hey, 
I've seen great faith, I've seen great love, and I want to kind of show you and remind you. That's all he's doing again. He's already reminding after those 14 verses, I'm going to remind you of how big our God is. So we're going to make a sandwich right now, if you allow me. And I'm going to open up with a proverbial bun and with some important things for us to consider. And then we're going to eat some proverbial meat of all those less, these six or seven verses. We're going to consume them all at one time so we can see it rightly. And then we're going to end by putting that last part of the bun on with some final exhortations. Okay, you guys ready to do that? So we're going to look at two concepts, prayer of intercession or how we intercede for someone else and praise filled remembrance for all that God has done. I want to show you, Pastor Jackson, I get ready to come up again. I want to show you how these two concepts um, really set us up to be ready for any adversity that God, uh, uh, that we may go through and as God is with us and everything. So I want us to work hard to see this in the text. And so we're looking at now at Ephesians chapter one, verses 16 through 23. And this first part is that we're going to see a prayer of intercession. So I want you to look at that. Can you see, can you notice on your own how he's interceding for the people of God? And then as Pastor Jack keeps reading faithfully through verses 20 through the end, do you see him reminding the church of Ephesus through praise? I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. And so as you see, the first thing he does, he's interceding with them. I don't stop to give thanks for you, right? I'm remembering you in my prayers. What is he remembering in his prayers? That God, our Lord Jesus, the Father, all these things he's revealed. He's giving you, he's giving you insight. He, hey, I'm praying for wisdom, revelation. Why? Because we have a tendency to waver. So I'm praying that the eyes of your heart, not these eyes, these eyes are distractions. These eyes of your heart, that they would be enlightened, emboldened. You're struggling, pray this over your life. God of the universe, enlighten and embolden the eyes of my heart so that I might see rightly. Give me a new, fresh revelation of what you're doing in it through my life. You think that these 12 men who rebaptized stayed in their perfect holy moment as Paul anointed them? No, I, I guarantee you that as Paul left, as he sat in light chain house arrest, they had times of doubt, times of struggle, times of despondency. In fact, we know that because they were sending messengers over to Paul and Paul wrote to them with encouragement saying, remember these things, be enlightened, be emboldened, remember all these things. And then we see in verses 20, you see his tracking and then he starts to lay out what? Basically a spark note, cliff note version of what we just did in the first 14 verses. He's starting to lift up God, making them big again. Hey, hey, Christ has done this. He's been raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand. He's, he's, he's activated all these blessings in your life. He has rule, power, authority, dominion above all things. And so he just starts lifting up Christ. Whenever you're struggling, lift up Christ. So can you see a, just maybe a little bit better now? There's some conflict going on in the church of Ephesus and everything is not perfect. Sound like sound familiar like our lives? Everything's not perfect. There's trials, there's circumstances, there's adversity, there's suffering, and everything else that comes with being in a sinful world. But there's also good, right, and true things going on in the church of Ephesus. So Paul opens up the letter reminding them about how big God is, what God has done, and reminding them of their first love and their first faith so they can be centered on the right things. And he finishes... And he provides with five wise prescriptions that are all embodied within this, this text. Now, because of the way that God has wired me to preach, I really fillet text and I can get, I can, spend, I can be here for four hours. So what I'm going to do to be faithful to the fact that we're going to start marching through this is I'm going to leave you with five wise prescriptions for them that Paul lays out, meaning they are for us as well. And then it is your responsibility to be a student letter, a student learner to take these five wise prescriptions, see them in the text that we just read and let God do a work. Here we go. Um, here's the first one. We, we want to be a church filled with individuals who have faith in God, 
beyond our ability to see and feel. I want you to work hard to see if you can find and discern how this is happening in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, really, the whole book, the whole first chapter. Um, here, here's the next one. Um, well, let's, let's talk about that. We want to be a church filled with individuals who have faith in God beyond our sight and what we feel. So important. If we get stuck in what we see all the time and what we feel all the time, you're not walking in faith. And without faith, you're really walking in a very distant relationship with God. It is through faith that we are saved. Okay. Number two, we want to be a church filled with individuals who effectively and proportionately love both believers and unbelievers in God-honoring ways. This is all permeating throughout the text. Okay, he, he's communicating loudly, even when he opens the book. He can't even help himself with truth. He starts the book this way. He ends the chapter this way. He's going to do it like 10 more times, I think I counted, in the book of Ephesians. He's constantly saying, love the love of the believers. The love, your life is to be poured out in a way different for those who are reaching that are lost versus those who are walking with Christ. I think also what happens is we try to fit the biblical narratives into our narratives because of wounds. Some of us, just to be honest, our kids are not walking with the Lord. And so we, 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 it's not that we don't see the Bible rightly, but to really faithfully accept what the Bible says is to accept things that are very difficult. Some of us have parents who are not walking with the Lord, cousins who are not walking with the Lord. And so we try to almost make these biblical narratives fit because we don't want to face reality. And here's the thing, folks, that's where faith comes in too. The people that you love the most, that your heart hurts for the most, that are not inside of this, they're not in the game. You pray for them, you believe upon God for them, but folks, you, that cannot be a distraction from you not walking rightly with God for your life. You have got to have enough love for yourself that you say, God, I lay my life down and my preferences down despite how painful it is so that you can use me. Use me, Lord, as an available vessel as I trust you with others that I love in my life. But don't move the biblical narrative to fit you. Make sure you're fitting the biblical narrative. Here's, here, here's the next one. We want to be a church filled with individuals who express gratitude as a witness of awaiting joy for those who can't see the faithfulness of God in the darkness. This is one of the things I try to do all the time. When I see someone struggling in, their, in, in, in darkness or, or in suffering, they're lost, they don't know God. Uh, man, the more I can have a heart that's constantly expressing the goodness of God, the more they're going to be able to see rightly that there's something. What? Uh, didn't you say that you've been on your recovery for seven? Why are you so happy? Why are you always smiling? Why are you always joking around? Don't, don't, I thought you said you had a lot of medical bills going on. Man, you're so, you're, you're, you're so happy. You're, you're, you're always thankful for everything, even when I can clearly see that you have needs. I want what you have. They're not interested in God. Stop it. They're interested in happiness. And when they can find happiness in you, you get to build a bridge to where you got that from. And his name is God. Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom. He has many names, but he's God. Let them see God play out in your life. Be marked by gratitude. Don't be selfish. Don't be all up in your own life all the time. God is doing amazing things in your life. Don't miss it. We want to be a church filled with individuals that intercede for each other in prayer. Folks, Paul is leaning in, in his suffering, in prison that he was not supposed to be in. He didn't do anything wrong. And all he's doing is interceding for others because they're struggling. He's interceding and praying on their behalf. We want to be a church filled that says, I'm, I'm praying for my brother. I'm praying for my sister. I'm trusting God. I'm, I'm not so lost in my own circumstance. I'm not so concerned. Every day of the week, I have something going on internally. I have something going on in my mind. But, I, but here's the thing. I want to be marked by such a way that's genuine. It, don't, don't be fake. Genuine in my relationship with the Lord where I'm like, man, I can spend time with you, 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 you. Because I know that God is working things out in my life. We want to be, finally, to be a church filled with individuals that are able to praise God as we are reminded of just how deep and wide and bright He really is in our lives. We want to be marked in that way. These are our hopes and these are our aims. And we have to hold fast to them. People of God, look at me. Hold fast to these realities in your life. I believe God can do amazing things in this church. I'm already seeing it. I'm looking at people saying, yes, Lord. I'm seeing people take their next step as cut of members, leaning. Folks, I have some, I have praise reports. Did you know, did you know that we had 
um, something like uh, almost every single individual who attended Vision Sunday said yes to begin to be a tither. Virtually every card, I think one or two did not. Did you know that over 45% say they're going to give beyond their tithe? Folks, God is doing big things. I also want you to know, this is a fitting time, that we were able to raise $3,860 in one day in a super small church towards our $5,000 goal. And guess what? If anybody else wants to help close that gap and finish that over the next couple of days, you do that. You go online, you go see Caitlin, you see a man, whoever can receive money, not name me, don't give me any money, okay? Um, help us fill this gap. Watch God move. Let's do big things. Let's, let's be a small church with big people that do really big things. And so I want to end right now. Um, if you can just lock in with me for one more second, we're going to talk about something that um, I put together called redeemed freedom. It's going to be a little bit back redeemed freedom. I actually do want to do that. Redeemed freedom. Okay. And this is going to be, this is a definition that is something I've been kind of working and stewarding in my life. Uh, 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 Ezekiel was asking me about a word of the year and I'm so complex and so I haven't even landed. And so this is what I've been working out in my mind and in my heart. And it's going to be one of my resolves. It's going to be on my wall. I think it's so profitable. So let's talk about redeemed freedom. Redeemed freedom is the biblical prescription. And I want this for all of us here. Redeemed freedom is the biblical prescription that in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. Okay, we're ending right here. Instead, we are cleansed and set free to pursue anything and everything we want. I want you to know that. God gave us that free will. You can do anything you want with your life. You can pursue anything, everything, every gratification, everything of the flesh. You can pursue anything and everything that you want. However, because of the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, what we desire and pursue is transformed into closer alignment with Christ. Because this is the real, this is the big hope if we really get these seven identifiable blessings, what changes. Therefore, our freedom redeemed allows us to freely pursue all that God proclaims is good and right. But here's the big part. Without the heavy burden or the worldly appetite that we are somehow missing out on pleasure, comfort, or reward. The biggest issue for maturing believers is feeling like they're missing out. Listen to me. The biggest struggle you will often go through is feeling like you're missing out on what's going on on here. What are my friends doing on Sunday morning? Who got more sleep than me on Sunday morning? Who didn't have to think so hard about their mistake? Uh, if I, we fear as we look into this colorful world that we're missing out because we're, 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 we're sacrificing things. Redeemed freedom is something that the Holy Spirit activates within your heart, mind, and soul where you don't feel like you're missing out on anything as you live differently. And the things that you actually want changes so that you, you don't live with denying yourself. I don't live a life where I feel like I'm denying myself all the time. I feel like I get to do anything I want all the time. It's just that the things I want to do are good and true and right in God's eyes. Are you tracking with me? So our hope as we continue to walk through Ephesians and we march into part nine is that every single week we will become more redeemed in our freedom because God has not called his people to live under slavery, under bondage, feeling like what it means to be a Christian is deny, 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 deny. That's what it means to love God. Deny, deny, deny. No fun. It means to be so free, so alive, so activated to pursue everything that you want to do in your life. It's just that the Holy Spirit gets your heart and what you want pleases the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in and through Redemption City Church. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the ability to meet here at the Arbory on Sundays. Lord, we don't take anything for granted. Lord, I thank you for a people who can sit down for an hour and five minutes in a sermon and to say your word and this time matters much to me. So Lord, now what I ask for, Lord, I don't demand, but I ask is that you would solidify this word deeply within our heart, that we would um, be able to walk towards a type of vision where we get to join the Ephesians in an exhortation from Paul that says, I want to encourage you and express gratitude for the love, the correct love and the depths of the faith that I'm witnessing and I'm hearing about in this 
church. But Lord, help us, Lord, to lift up that love and that faith beyond our circumstances. Help us not be caught up wrongly in things that distract us from your kingdom. Help us to be unified as a people and unified to you in such a way that we are immeasurably and supremely attractive to those around us from the inside out. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.